Welcome to the Hail Maryland Podcast. I'm Bruin Shunker. Joining me as always is Jacob Steinberg. And today we have a very special guest joining us. It's Alexander Dacey, the sports editor and football beat writer for the Diamondback. Alex, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Vern. How are you doing? Pretty good. You know, I've always been thinking, like when I have when I picture like bringing on guests in my head, I always think about like putting like a little applause sound effect in the background once I say people's name. I've never actually done it, but you know what? I might end up doing it here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before we get started, as always, listeners, please rate, review, share, and subscribe to the Hail American Hail Maryland podcast. You can find us on the WMUC Sports Podcast feed. All right, let's start with uh, some news, obviously. We're recording this on Sunday, so today after Maryland should have played their first game, they didn't, uh, not the first game, their game against Ohio State, they didn't, obviously it's the first game they've had to cancel because of COVID-19 positive tests. Do we know anything new about the situation with Maryland, Alex? So really, it's been mostly radio silence since Thursday evening, which is when they had a call with reporters. Well, Mike Loxley had a call with reporters, but he he didn't really know all that much because obviously most of this is being handled by the medical team and they did not have the medical team on the call. So um, it's pretty much status quo as far as we're aware. They were um, the, the team, at least the, the players that had not tested positive, the team and the coaches were. Uh, quarantining at the hotel uh, just over on Route 1. Um, they were, they're supposed to end that today. Um, I was in correspondence with uh, with an athletics department source a little bit earlier, uh, and they haven't they didn't really give me much of an update. They were just like, we'll have information in the next couple of days. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what that means. Um, TBD on whether or not, you know, they've had more positive tests. But as of Thursday, as of Thursday evening, it's eight positive tests in the last week um, that would put them just under the like uh, the seven day average requirement the, set by the big 10 to like automatically stop games. I think that puts them around like 7%. The, the requirement is like seven and a half percent of your team uh, has COVID before it gets shut down. Um, so Maryland, uh, Maryland did initiate the shutdown Um Again, whether or not that was a case of like they wanted to try to get out ahead of something or they're like, we see the writing on the wall. Let's just shut it. Let's just shut it down, um, you know, before we actually hit that point. Again, there's there's a lot of kind of unanswered questions just because they're being pretty guarded about, you know, the COVID information. So we'll probably know more. You know, I'll probably have probably have a better answer to that question, Mm -hmm. you know, in the next few days. But um, for right now, you know, eight players, they're quarantining. Michigan State game this week is TBD. So mm-hmm. we'll, just, we'll just see what happens in the next few days. Right. Yeah. Like you said, at this point, we don't know what's going to happen with the Michigan State game. Jacob, what can you go? Alex talked about it a little bit. Can you go over the specific Big Ten requirements that the UMD needs to hit to be able to play the game? Yeah. So as Alex mentioned, if they hit over that seven and a half percent threshold, then the game has to be canceled. That's the big 10 rule. But as Alex said, we don't know who those eight players are that tested positive. The only thing we do know is while coach Loxley did defer a lot of the questions to the medical department, he did say that it wasn't one specific position group that was hit hard. It was kind of random uh, spread out throughout the team, which I don't want to say is good news, but 
at least that it's not isolated to one position group. So that means it's a little bit more possible that they can play this week, considering they don't have one position group completely wiped out. But then in terms of the requirements for the eight players that actually tested positive, they cannot return for a minimum of 21 days. And then they have to be cleared by a cardiologist before returning to uh, to practice and game action again, because as we've talked about before, the link between uh, myocarditis and college athletes and uh, that those that have contracted COVID. So just as a precautionary reason, and we'll, we'll probably find out, or assuming they play, we're going to find out this week who the eight players that tested positive are once we see uh, some of the players that are inactive and it lists them probably for medical reasons. But like Alex said, it's just a waiting game at this point. We'll probably find out some more information in the next couple of days, probably either Tuesday or Wednesday, whether the uh, game this Saturday will be played or not. And that's seven and a half percent. Is that just players or does that include coaches and other staff members? So they call that the Big Ten calls that the population positivity rate, right. um, which uh, in this case, population is the players. Um, I don't I don't think they've set a specific threshold for uh, coaches and staff that have uh, that have tested positive. I'll have to uh, I have to go back and double check that. But I'm pretty sure um, pretty sure they're not included in that. And it's just players. Um, the other threshold, uh, which which is not which is not some which is not which is not as easily I guess trackable, um, is that your testing positivity rate, which is just which is just you know not the number of people, but just the number or the the number of tests that come back positive has to be below five percent. Um, the testing positivity rate statistic is a bit weird because uh, because like you know the more tests you do, the right, lower exactly. that rate will be. Mm-hmm. So it's the population positivity rate is kind of the the more I guess the the more the more telling statistic, um, you know, we we have a, I think we have a better indication of that just because they told us eight players tested positive than the you know they they didn't give a specific breakdown of the testing, but um, again, it, it's really just a waiting game at this point trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, your point about the positivity rate is a good one because I think Emily Giambavallo is someone who's been banging the drum on that on Twitter. Once you test negative, if you test negative two times, that goes down as two people in the positivity rate, right? And so if you test the 50 members of the football team once, and then there's zero positive tests, and then you test them again, and then there's zero positive tests, now you're at zero out of 100. But if you test them again, and then eight players test positive, now you're at eight out of 150, which makes it look a lot smaller than it really is, when in reality, it's eight out of 50. So those numbers are a little bit deceiving. That's why the population rate is more important. But uh, let's quickly recap where Maryland was before these uh, positive tests. You guys have any final thoughts on the COVID situation? Nothing else um, right now. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) So let's recap where they were. So they lost a horrific opening game, 43-3 to Northwestern, who somehow is 4-0. It still doesn't entirely make sense to me. But uh, then they won their next two games, bringing them to 2-1. and one. After that opening loss where they only scored three points, they've had a dynamic offense, one of the best of the Big Ten. And they've had a defense that was starting to come around and make some splash plays, especially in the Penn State game. Now, what's interesting about Maryland is that two of their wins, the only two of their wins, came against Minnesota and Penn State, which were really good teams last year, right? Ranked teams, one of the best teams in the Big Ten. This year, those teams suck. Like, forget about just losing to Maryland. And part of that is is because Maryland took care of business, but Minnesota looks like, like their defense has just completely cratered. Penn State has switched quarterbacks, and they have their 0-4 for the first time since 2001. They have completely, both those teams have completely imploded. Does the fact that those teams look a lot worse than they did when the schedule first came out and Maryland actually beat them, does that change the way you think about this Maryland team, Jacob, then Alex? 
Uh, for me, it doesn't really change the way I think about this Maryland team because Penn State, despite their record, is still a really talented team. I I, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I think if uh, Will Levis, the backup, starts yesterday from the beginning of the game, they end up beating Nebraska. I think the fact that they put themselves in such a deep hole that in large part, Sean Clifford put them in. I think that going forward, Levis is probably going to be the starter. And I think that they're going to have a lot more success. But I think that if Maryland, if Maryland just barely beat Penn State, I would be a little, I would be a little concerned, but they dominated Penn State throughout the game, even though they struggled a little bit in the second half, they had explosive plays offensively in the first half. The defense was strong all throughout the game. And then Minnesota was just a resilient win. I mean, coming back from 17, excuse me, points down in the fourth quarter when nobody really gave you a shot to win, myself included, just shows about the resilience of a young team. So to me, the the record of Minnesota and Penn State doesn't really diminish anything against uh, Maryland because also the history. I mean, Maryland has perennially perennially struggled against these teams since joining the Big Ten Conference. So it's it's really good for them to show that they can compete against these teams, even if they are having struggling seasons so far. I agree with Jacob. And I think part of the thing that makes me, you know, makes it a little hard for me to sort of judge based on other teams is just because we have such a weird sample size this year. Like it's so much smaller, first of all. And second of all, again, most of these teams do not have organized practices until, you know, early October. So, or like, or like kind of big, large scale, or, you know, organized practices in early October. So it's so, so everything's kind of a crapshoot. Um, I feel like this year, and that's kind of, I think reflected in the big 10 standings being so, you know, aside from Ohio state and Wisconsin, just dominating, you know, everything else is so topsy turvy in the big 10 and really in most other conferences in the um, across college football, I think, you know, to, to Jacob's point with, um, with Minnesota, like, yeah, Minnesota's defense is not good. I mean, obviously losing Antoine Winfield doesn't, you know, and a few other key contributors doesn't help there. But that offense, the Minnesota offense is still actually is still pretty good. I mean, Mohamed uh, Ibrahim is unbelievable. Uh, and then Bateman and, and Ottman Bell are both two really good receivers. And Tanner Morgan is still a good quarterback. So, you know, yeah, Mar- yeah, Maryland's defense did not look great that game. They They picked it up towards the end. But you know, that, that their offense was able to just sort of hang with them, which in past years was always kind of the question mark of like, you know, okay, if the defense is having a bad game, can the offense keep pace? And in in the past, you know, I don't even know how many years, the answer to that question was always, they'd get a touchdown or two here and there, but they, you know, they'd, they'd end up pulling, you know, getting, you know, blown out in the second half and lose and, that's a game kind of, again, to Jacob's point, they would not have come back from in the past, but they showed resilience. They're a very young team. And I think, you know, again, honestly, that they're even at, you know, that they're even at two and one right now is great for them because they're so young, you know, they're so young, they're still growing. Mike Loxley says in every, you know, weekly press conference that they're always in the growth phase. So like, you know, this season is not so much about the on-field results. It's more about the personal and, you know, personal growth of the team and just getting, you know, for honestly, for them, just getting these wins, like I kind of only projected they'd have two or three wins at the start, you know, at the start of the season, they've pretty much hit that mark. They look really good. The rest of the big tens kind of upside down. I mean, this is a great spot for them to be in, you know, regardless of, you know, whoever those two wins ended up being and Hey, Northwestern might be the best team in the big 10. Who knows? <laughs> they, they look really good. So So, you know, it's all, it's all just upside down this year, but I mean, 
two and one. This is a, this is a great start for them. About as probably about as good as you could ask for. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're playing with house money at this point, right? It's a it's a constant theme in a lot of things, but especially in my life, when you lower expectations, you can never be disappointed. And expectations for Maryland at the basement, <laughs> like they say, the bar is the floor, fellas. And they're they're clearing it by honestly like a pretty wide margin right now. And from this point, everything's house money because we kind of know that Talia's that guy, right? We know that he's going to be a guy for at least one more year, right? And so I think that knowledge is kind of one of the reasons that there's so much optimism around this team. Plus the fact you know you got the defensive recruits coming in, et cetera, et cetera. And Maryland fans are really excited. And so uh, let's 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 fuel into that excitement a little bit because we have some mailback questions from some Maryland fans. Uh, thank you to Luke Creamer and Freddie Wolf who sent in a bunch of questions. Shout out to them. And so let's get to their first question. How likely is it that Rakeem Jarrett reaches a thousand yards at some point in his career, given that UMD has only had 2000 yard wide receivers since 2010 in DJ Moore and Torrey Smith? I'm a thousand yards is really tricky in college football just because it's a smaller season. Like I honestly thought that Stefan Diggs would have had a thousand, but he never did. But if he keeps playing this offense with Talia next to him, he's, I mean, he's definitely going to be like the second receiver probably next year. I can see it happening definitely because they're so pass happy. Jacob, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually do think he's going to get to a thousand yards. I mean, he has 213 yards already and that's the first game only getting one target. So in pretty much two games, he has 213 yards and he's shown his propensity for explosive plays, the two touchdowns against Penn state. So if he can, basically replicate the 213 yards in like the next four games that they have in the regular season. He'll probably finish with around, I don't know, 500 or something yards, which I certainly think he should be able to eclipse again next year, assuming that Maryland plays a full normal 12 game schedule, which is obviously way in advance. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I I do feel fairly confident that Raheem Jarrett will get over a thousand yards in his career. And I, that's also a pretty wild stat that only, uh, Torrey Smith and DJ Moore have done it since 2000, since 2010. Cause I agree with you. I would have thought not knowing that Stefan Diggs would have eclipsed a thousand yards as well. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I mean, I think Jarrett is easily the, I mean, Maryland has produced some pretty good wide receivers the last several years, but I think Jarrett's probably easily the most explosive since at least Stefan Diggs. And he's going to be, he's going to be a big problem for opposing defenses for the next few years. Uh, he's just so explosive. Like I, I saw him play once in high school and I mean, even, you know, even, even before he came to Maryland, I'm like, this kid is special. Like he's just, he's, he's just so good. And I think, you know, especially considering he's already off to a pretty good start being probably the four this year, and he's going to shoot up that spot in the next couple of years. And, you know, he'll actually have a pretty solid quarterback throwing to him and with how explosive he is and how explosive Maryland's offense has the potential to be, I would, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far out ahead of myself because obviously injuries are, are a thing. And, you know, again, we don't know how the next couple of years are going to look like schedule wise because of the pandemic, but I wouldn't, I think at this point, if everything holds, I would be more surprised than not if he doesn't get to a thousand yards, that might be a bit of a big take, but I, 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 I really really think he can hit a thousand yards and eclipse it because just he's just that explosive yeah the one thing that gives me maybe a little bit of pause is that a lot of these maryland receivers other than him are also pretty young right like Dante demons i honestly was 100 sure he was a senior just because of how polished he is he's a junior right 
Brian Cobb is also a junior, and it kind of looks like Jarrett's going to eclipse Cobb's in the depth chart if he hasn't already at some point this year he's going to. So the only thing I could see maybe holding him back is if seniority plays a big role and he gets limited targets because of that, or if it's if it's more of a committee situation that they kind of hold him back and give him a little bit more rest. But yeah, I think if I had to place my money somewhere, I would place it probably like 60% that he gets to a thousand yards or something, which is crazy to say, considering that again, Stefan Diggs never got to it. There's only been two guys considering all the talent. Maryland said another question, you know, do you think Dante Demas this year, I guess he probably could have, but do you think that he might hit a thousand yards at some point, Alex? <sighs> That's a little bit harder. Cause I mean, again, Demas is also explosive, but he's not quite explosive in the same way as Jared. And like right now, I think part of the other thing that I'm all that that I also gives me pause is right now they have a lot of options at receiver. It's mm-hmm. I think, and I know we're gonna probably get to this a little bit later, but I think that's by far their deepest position group. <laughs> um so you know, because you have that luxury of just being able to spread it out, I think it'll be a little bit harder for Demas to get to a thousand yards at some point. Whereas I'm not we're not exactly sure what the Situation will look like a few years down the line when Jared's like a junior or a senior. So when he might be just the go-to guy, um, you know, then that was kind of the case when DJ Moore, I guess a few years ago, got a thousand yards. It was like, he was, it was basically just DJ Moore. So, you know, like if he, if it gets to the point where it's like just for Kim Jarrett, you know, that, that, that I think, get, you know, makes it better for him to get a thousand yards. But if we get to a point you know, I don't think we'll get to that point with Demas. I think there's still just too many options for them to spread it out. He's very explosive. And I know he got a little over, I think he got 625 yards last year. If I don't have that pulled up, but I think if, I think it was 625 last year and you know, that was exactly 625. And that was when he was like, you know, the, he was kind of the guy last year just because of injuries. So, you know, I think, I think, I think he could get close at some point. I don't know if it's going to happen, but, um, you know, again, kind of remains to be seen given, you know, everything's so up in the air right now. <laughs> yeah. If you look at his stats from this year so far, so it's three games, 228 yards. So that's like 70 yards per game over a 12 game season. That gets you to about 840. So he gets close, but I don't think he gets there just because like you said, they're spreading around a lot, but like, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's really good. And we're going to get to this later. He's so, he's he's very strong when he attacks the ball that I think that's, that's something that he and Talia have really developed a cool relationship. Jacob, what do you think, man? Yeah, I, I agree with Alex. I, 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 the thing that makes me hesitant is just the depth that Maryland has in their wide receiver group. However, I do think he, he will get extremely close. I think he could probably end up finishing with maybe like 850 to 900 yards in a season. But I think that just considering the reasons both of you cited, just the depth that they have in the group. And I know we all agree it's their deepest position group on the roster is the only reason because I talked about it on the last episode. Dante Demas just... He's the one guy, at least for me, besides Talia on this team that just breeds consistency. You know what you're going to get from him every single game. He consistently produces, he does his job, and he doesn't let you know about it. So I'm a big fan of Dante Dimas personally, just watching him play, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets really close. I hope he gets it, but it's going to be really tough with Maryland's offensive versatility and all the talented weapons they have in the receiver room. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on to the next question, also from Luke Creamer. Is it an issue that Maryland has only scored three times in the red zone, or is that more because of how explosive the offense have been? Jacob, what do you think? Is that a problem? Or I'm going to go to the second half. I'm going to say it's more attributed to the explosiveness of the offense. I mean, if you look at Maryland, they've scored 45 points and 35 points in their last two games, and they've only made eight trips to the red zone, which is pretty crazy. It just shows how uh, – 
explosive their offense is and how often they convert on big plays. I mean, if you look at all their touchdowns against Penn state, all four or four of them were on big plays. You had the two Rakim Jarrett uh, receiving touchdowns. You had the Jake Funk 38 yard run and you had the Dante Demas 34 yard catch. So Maryland's offense is still finding a way to score points. And I mean, to me, eight, eight trips to the red zone is not really a large sample size yet. I think if we continue the second half of the season, and they're not able to convert on as many big plays and are kicking field goals and not scoring touchdowns, it won't, it'll start to be a concern. But as of right now, I think the explosive plays, I mean, if you're going to be able to score 45 and 35 points a game, I don't think your head coach and the fans are really going to be complaining about red zone efficiency too much. Yeah. And I'm sort of on that point too, like, like Maryland's offense. And I think this was sort of the case last year, but it just didn't totally, it didn't totally pan out is they're built, they're built for the big play. They're built for explosive plays, um, which, you know, which, which has its ups and downs because obviously like for as explosive as it can be, it can just, you know, and we saw that the last two games, it can just quick strike so fast. Um, and they can rack up points in a really short amount of time. But then obviously the flip side is you saw this, I'm not going to put that totally on, you know, totally on the, the, the quick playability of the offense in the Northwestern game. But like when the, when the big play doesn't hit, they don't have much of a fallback. Um, and that's sort of like, that would sort of be my concern is like, kind of like Jacob said, is if they start to the big play starts to falter a little bit as the season goes along and it, you know, and then, and then it just, it just kind of, then the offense kind of fall. I don't want to say falls apart, but it like, you know, you start, you start kicking field goals instead of getting touchdowns. Um, it, it, then, then I would kind of raise some red flags, but I think, I think for now it's more of a product of just how explosive the offense is. Again, small sample remains to be seen. That's going to be a kind of common theme, but um yeah, I, I think I, I think I think for now it's not a worry. It becomes a worry later if if they start to you know all of a sudden if that big play disappears. Yeah, you are right in that they get a lot of big plays. Like I think about like Talia's touchdown run, the seventy-six yard touchdown to Jason Jones. I mean, in the last game, the pass to Demas, Jake Funk's run, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think they have some ability, like. I don't think they've shown it just because they haven't really had to, but I think they do have an ability to just like chew up clock and go on these 15 play 75 yard touchdown drives. Just because like, you know, like I think about what this offense is at its core, you know, you got the RPOs and you've got like really quick hitting concepts. Tally catches a ball, three strap drop, boom, balls out of his hand. And I think that really bodes well. Plus, you know, the running game, obviously with funk, and I think that they're going to be able to put some tough yards. And I think we're going to see that a little bit more as the year goes on in the red zone. I feel like the red zone is really where the, like, you know, when you go from the twenties to twenties, you have so much open space, right? That's where so many offenses thrive. But when you get into the red zone, the field condenses, there's less space. And I think that's where you both have to have better scheme and better players. And I think that Maryland does have some cool things that they do schematically. I, I really like, um, for a couple of games, they've been putting Jared in the backfield and having him run routes from there. That's something I really like because you get you might get him matched up with a linebacker, and that's you know easy mismatch for Rakeem Jared. I think they're going to do some cool stuff. Plus, a quarterback that can run always a plus in the red zone. It's it's instantly a game changer just because of the numbers advantage you get when you go eleven on eleven versus uh, ten on eleven because of the extra guy you have in the quarterback. But yeah, I'm I'm going to say TBD. I'm going to say right now no if we see it in the future and that they have some str- struggles in the red zone, because what are they, they're four of eight right now in the red zone scoring touchdowns. So I'm not too worried past that. Cause if that that's a perfectly acceptable rate for the small sample size. Uh, the next question, 
What can we expect from this defensive line in the future? The Penn State game was a good sign, but will that continue for the rest of the season? I kind of want to expand this question a little bit more from the defensive line to just the entire front seven in general, because I think they really struggled in the first two games, especially trying to stop the run, both against Northwestern and uh, Minnesota. And they kind of did that a little bit better against Penn State. Alex, do you think that that was kind of a mirage or just that Sean Clifford isn't a very good quarterback anymore or ever? I'm right now, again, it's again, such a small, it's, it's one game. So I, 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 really, I, small, small, small I know I, I, I really would have honestly liked to see them against Justin Fields this weekend yeah. to see like, you know, cause I mean, granted that would have been the best team they would have faced all year by a wide margin. And that offense, that Ohio state offense is just unbelievably lethal. But I, I think it really would have provided a decent measuring stick to see like, all right, can they at least like contain them and like the pen and like that they have grown from those first two games or you know are they just gonna are they just gonna get bulldozed again and again um i think i think i think with the defense again it's, it's a bit hard i think i think that they definitely showed some improvements i also think penn state's not as good as you know not as good as we we kind of bore them out to be at the beginning of the season so i think opponent probably played some factor into that and also that Penn state had to play from behind. So they had to pass more, you know, they, they had, they had to force Clifford to pass more and he kind of all over the place with his arm. So again, I, I think it's, I think it kind of remains to be seen. I'm more, the, the, the thing that's hard for me with the front seven is it's a lot of, you know, with the exception of like, say mainly chance Campbell and AC Ely, a lot of the guys up front are new and they're either transfers or they're like sophomores getting their first ever like meaningful snaps. So, and that's again, kind of a common theme is just a lot of these guys are just so new that, you know, this is the time for them to grow. So we haven't totally seen them, that unit mesh yet just because they just haven't played that. They haven't played that much together. Um, So I think, you know, really outside of like Campbell and Ely, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that like hopeful, I guess, for the, for the future. I think it's, I think, I think, I think the, I think, I think the, the main thing with the, with the Maryland defense is, is again, that this is, this is their growth year. I mean, they they recruited big on the D line for next year. I mean, Damian Robinson coming from nearby Quince Orchard is going to be a big, you know, a big boost to that line. But I, I think I think it's such a small sample size. I'm not I'm not overly confident that they'll be able to keep it up. I think you know if if the Michigan State game you know does or does not go off, they, they have they haven't looked very good. I really think if if the Indiana game goes off in two weeks, that'll be a good test because their offense looks pretty good. Michael Penix is a you know a pretty good comp to I guess Talia and that he's a he is a good arm and is a scrambler. So I think that will, that will challenge their offense a la Peyton Ramsey a couple weeks ago. So, you know, I, I kind of want to see them, see them have more su- success in this one game, but positive steps, it's positive steps, uh, whether or not it's sustained, we'll see, but I don't think it will be sustained for that long of a time. Yeah. I'm skeptical just like you, just because, I like with the Maryland offense, you can see the talent, right? Like we know Ricky and Jared, five star, this offensive line, a lot of potential. Jake Funk, been here a while. Talia, football royalty at this point, right? 
But you don't have that same pedigree in the front seven. You don't have guys like Raheem Jarrett on in the front seven, outside of maybe Chance Campbell, who's really like the, the one of the best players on the defense and the team. I agree with you. I don't. I, I'm very skeptical that this con, uh, continues, and I was really excited to see them against Ohio State because Jacob and I did an interview with a couple of guys who cover Ohio State in an interview that will uh, that has disappeared into the nether for now. Uh, they have struggled to run the ball this year. They have not run the ball as efficiently as they'd want to. And they've kind of relied on fields more than maybe Ryan day would like to, but if they weren't able to run against Maryland, Maryland for a lot of the years has just been like a get right game for teams. Right. And so if they weren't able to get right in the running game against Maryland, that would have been great to see. I don't think we're going to learn much about this team from the Michigan state game. If Michigan state looks like they played the way they're going to play. I think Michigan state like had the Cinderella effect happen to them uh, for one game against Michigan, but that's it. And so I am curious to see if the front seven keeps it up, but I just don't think they have the bodies to, to really keep it. I think the strength of this defense is going to be in the secondary. Jacob, do you agree or do you see some untapped potential in this uh, front seven? Yeah, I agree with a lot of the points that both of you said. Like Alex said earlier, I was really intrigued to see Maryland go with the Maryland's defensive front go up against Ohio State's offensive line. I mean, coming off a game the first two weeks where they had one sack combined, and then you have a game where you get seven sacks and you're facing the best offense in the conference and probably arguably nationally, that's going to show what Maryland's defense really is. I think if anything, they were probably just entering the Ohio State game with a lot of confidence, understandably, because they had seven sacks and they're they found some success getting to the quarterback. But I think the biggest thing for me that I learned from the Penn State game that I think we're going to see more in the future is I think defensive coordinator John Hoke is going to be able to dial up some more blitzes because I think after seeing the way the secondary performed against Penn State's wide receivers, I think he might have a little bit more confidence in his secondary. And to me, it's I, I think he should have more confidence in his secondary, but at the same time, I think it's kind of a risky game because as we've talked about, it's only one game. So it is a small sample size when Maryland's secondary struggled a lot in the first two games. But I do think that John Hogue is going to blitz more moving forward, mainly for a lot of the reasons that both of you said is that Maryland doesn't have a lot of proven talent up front outside of Chance Campbell and AC Ely like they have in other uh, position groups on their offense and in other areas of the defense. So I think that they're going, if they want to get consistent pressure, they're going to need to blitz more. And coach Loxley has talked about how he, he considers himself to be an, an aggressive coach. And I think he might try and encourage uh, John Hogue to blitz more. I don't think that he's going to assert like his, I don't want to say his dominance, but say like you have to blitz more because I don't think Coach Lock, Coach Loxley considers himself more of an offensive mind, but he works with the whole team. So that that for me is the biggest thing that's going to be intriguing moving forward is seeing if we see John Hoke and the defense dial up some more blitzes and try and get some more disguised coverages to to frankly create some issues for these younger quarterbacks. Because I mean, next week against Michigan State, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be Rocky Lombardi looked absolutely awful against Indiana. They brought in uh, their backup and then Michael Penix in two weeks is obviously very good. And I mean, Michigan, I, it looks like a very, very winnable game right now for Maryland. If you told me that looking at Maryland's second four games of the season after Ohio state and said, which of those games is going to be the toughest challenge. them, I easily would have said Michigan. And now it's clearly Indiana. So Maryland definitely has a big opportunity moving forward. And I'm really intrigued to see how their defensive line steps up because if they're going to want to have success, the final four games, it can't just be their offense scoring points. Their defense needs to get, needs to get consistent pressure and force some turnovers as well. Yeah. I think for their defense, well, Loxie said it in the Minnesota game. 
I don't want to die the slow death, right? He he wants to be aggressive. He wants to come out for teams. And I think that with the talent they have on the back end, they can kind of take those risks just because if you look at the Penn State game, a lot of those sacks look like, one, they came on a blitz with a linebacker and brought someone down, or it was just like a coverage sack with nowhere to go for Clifford, or maybe you just didn't see open receivers. And so I think the secondary is really going to be key for that. And I think I think they're going to have to be aggressive, and I, because I think that this defense isn't going to be the prototypical like I'm going to stop you the defense or like a bend don't break defense. I think this defense is going to give up some points, but you want to counteract that with a couple of big plays, right? Like the fumble return for the touchdown, like an interception. You want to be like you want to be the aggressor. You just want to blow up things. Maybe you get burned a couple of times. If so, so be it. You have the most explosive offense that we've had at Maryland in I don't even know how long, probably before I was born, and probably for any of us for more. And, <laughs> and so you just want to like kind of force a little bit, you, you just want to create havoc just enough that you, you, uh, you make one or two big plays that could swing the game, especially against more talented teams. Alex, do you agree? Or do you think that this defense is going to have to do a little bit more for Maryland to have success? Um, I'm kind I'm mostly in your boat. I think like the defense, you know, like, like obviously my, my main thing is like, you know, if the offense can't, you know, can't, might not always just be able to sustain that sort of go, go, go that they showed in the first, you know, in the last two games, uh, just because that that's just very hard for an offense to do, especially if the defense is slacking. So I think the defense will have to, you know, step up a little bit to just make life easier on the offense, but I don't think they'll, they won't have to dominate and take over games just because the offense is so good. Um, and like, again, quite frankly, the defense is not great but they don't have to be great in order for Maryland to win, at least not this season. Um, they can, they can be, they can be merely okay. And that on the offense can escape, you know, the offense can skate by with, with a merely okay defense allowing, you know, 28 points. It's, that sounds it, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they're gonna have to be great. Um, all right. So for this next question, it's what are your main takeaways from the Penn state game? And the way I really thought about this was, I like to look at what stats are sticky, right? From either game to game or year to year. When I mean sticky, I mean just in case in terms of they they're consistent because like we know some things don't translate from year to year third down conversion percentage. If you're really good on third down one year, there's a good chance you're going to regress the next year, right? One score games, unless you have Russell Wilson in the NFL, you're not going to be able to win one score games consistently turnovers are also something that's not sticky and, and you see this sometimes when a team I, I think about um the 2018 I think Chicago Bears it was the first year they had Matt Nagy they had that incredible defense with Khalil Mack and they went, went 10 and 6 even though Mitch Trubisky was our quarterback and they weren't that good uh weren't that good offensively and weren't just that good the next season they disappointed like crazy people are like why what, what happened and the reason was the defense went from being an all-time unit to just be an all-time great unit to just being really, really good. And the change happened because of the amount of turnovers they forced. And a lot of that is just luck. A lot of that is just, is your guy in the right spot at the right time for an incomplete pass or a tip? Is when you hit a guy, does a guy fumble or not, right? Some of, Do you recover the fumble or not? So much of that is lucky. And so when I look at the Penn State game, I want to look at what stats are sticky. And really when I look at it, the only thing that I feel that is super sticky is that Rakeem Jarrett's going to break out this year. Like I, like, I think that he's going to move into that number three receiver role. And I think that he's going to be 
he's going to be the second most dynamic option on this receiving depth chart, even higher than Jay Sean Jones. A little bit of a hot take. I know that Jacob's a huge Jay Sean guy. So what do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me from the Penn State game was just Maryland's offensive explosiveness because we talked about it earlier. Although although Penn State has not performed, they still have a lot of talent on that defense. I mean, Shaka Tony's probably going to be a, a first-round pick uh, this upcoming year. Jason Owe is a very talented pass rusher as well. And Maryland showed that they can find big plays against a, a better defense. I was looking forward to see seeing against Ohio State for a similar reason as well because I think Ohio State and probably Indiana – and Wisconsin, they're the three best defenses in the conference, but obviously Maryland only plays two of them. So I was really intrigued to see how Maryland's offense continued against a really talented defense, because as we talked about, Minnesota's defense is underwhelmed throughout the season. So while Maryland's propensity for explosive plays was impressive to watch, it was against a pretty porous defense. And then they showed against Penn State that they have the ability to do it against a better defense. So for me, that's going to be the, the big takeaway for the final four games of the season is Obviously, I don't, I'm not expecting Maryland to score 45 points each game, but if they continue to show the propensity for big plays against some of these really talented defenses, it's going to make me even more confident for the future because, as we've talked about on previous episodes, in the future the recruiting class next year, a lot of Maryland's talent is coming on the defensive side of the ball. So if they show that they have a really solid foundation in offensively it's going to make me even more confident in their impact moving forward and I, to me I think another big takeaway from that game was Maryland's defense was opportunistic and that's what they're going to have to do moving forward when Sean Clifford threw up 50-50 balls that they needed to come down with they came down with them when they sacked uh, Sean Clifford and then the ball came out and Chance Campbell scooped it and then ran it right to the end zone if the off- the opposing offense is going to turn the ball over you have to make them pay for it and be opportunistic and that's exactly what Maryland's defense did and they're going to need to do that moving forward because as we've talked about Maryland's offense is going to be able to score points but they cannot just give up 40 or 45 every game because with some of these really talented defenses that Maryland is going to play moving forward the offense might not be able to do that so a lot of the onus is going to be on the defense as well. Yeah, and I agree. And I don't, I don't have too much more to add beyond that. Just, um, you know, the, the, again, the, the offense, the offense is just going to have to, is going to be like the, the kind of motor of this team and they're, you know, they're going to have, they're going to have to put up a lot of points every week. And I think, I think they're more than capable of doing that as long as, you know, they, as long as they don't make too many, you know, stupid decisions, like there were a few in the Northwestern game that sort of torpedoed the whole contest. So as long as they're smart in their decision-making um, and they're, you know, and they don't, they don't try to you know, take to, you know, take what's not given to them. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think that's, that's really kind of the big takeaway. Uh, my, and, and the D, the defense again, being opportunistic is, is a big, you know, is big and important. And Penn state was, was just kind of giving, giving them so much that they, you know, that, that, that they took it away. So again, that's my one sort of area where I want to caution is just because again, Penn state was just tossed just kind of all over the place with that, with their offense. I, you know, again, I want to see that more consistently week to week. I want to see that, you know, Michigan state, if, if that game gets played this week, you know, would be a good, a kind of a good benchmark because their offense has kind of struggled um, Indiana would be a nice get for them if they could, you know, throw Michael Penix and co off his, off their game. But you know, that, that, that would be, that would be a, a real tell as if they, is if the defense keeps it up the next couple of weeks, especially in that Indiana game, that would, you know, that would be pretty impressive. All right, let's move on to the next question. 
Should Talia be used in the run game more often? He seems like he has the legs, but there aren't many designed runs. I kind of, you know, I thought about this. I think they've used a couple of design runs. I think like in the Minnesota game, we saw him in like a quarterback draw situation. I don't think we need to, to be honest. I think if Talia wants to run, he's going to do it just by getting out of the pocket and scrambling. I think that's where he's more effective. You can, I mean, why give him unnecessary hits when you can function so well in the passing game is what I think. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. And honestly, I like the way they've, you know, after the first game notwithstanding, I like the way they've run their offense the last two games. I mean, the RPO, I think, is a perfectly acceptable way to use him in the running game. And then he's going to scramble because, you know, he has, he has good vision to see, like, when he's he's a pretty good blitz pickup. So, if you know, if guys are breaking through, he knows how to spin out of stuff, scramble, run, not not necessarily take a, an unnecessary hit where, again, I think, you know the the few quarterback draws that they did that they did run were they were they were fine, but you know they, they, they didn't make that much of a dent. I think I think I think just the keeping up with the RPO I think is going to be you know probably the most effective way to have Talia run um, because it just throws in that element of surprise. Whereas a design run, you know it's 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 a, it's a little bit easier to pick up from the defense's perspective. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think in just a perfect way to describe it is the risk is much greater than the reward. If all it takes is one penalty. I mean, in college, we see it all the time, targeting hits. All it takes is one time Talia clearly slides and a defensive back or linebacker comes in and targets him, hits him in the head. Who knows? And obviously, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but what if he sustains a concussion or something like that, has to miss several games? And like both of you said, the run game that they're currently using with Talia, occasionally him scrambling out in the design quarterback draw every once in a while, I think is working really well. So to me, I would not use him any more often than they have already. And I would continue to encourage him like they have that if he does scramble to slide and make sure and try and minimize the amount of hits as, as much as possible. All right. Yeah, I agree. I think you use it as like a tendency breaker just to screw with opposing defensive coordinators when you need to. Uh, last question here. What does Maryland need to accomplish over the second half of the season to define it as a success? You know, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, how the expectations were so low with the adjusted expectations. What do they have to do the rest of this year for you guys to consider this year? a success, you know, I'm not just talking about like a nine out of 10, right? Like I'm talking about like a 15 out of 10, just going through the roof. Cause I think they really have the potential to do that. Jacob, then Alex. I'm going to be a coach Loxley here and I'm going to use my coach speak. I'm just going to say one simple word, consistency. They've had it through the first three games in spurts. And when they've had it, it's been really good. The offense has been generally more consistent than the defense has been, but I'm talking about consistency throughout the team. The special teams unit, Joseph Petrino and Anthony Pecorella have been pretty much as consistent as you could want them to be throughout the season. But I need Maryland's offense to be consistent the next four games. And I, and I need their defense to do the exact same thing. If even if let's say they lose all four of their remaining games, but they stay close and competitive in all of them, the offense continues to show signs of growth and consistency. And so does the defense. I'm going to define the second half of the season as a success. I don't think that Maryland is going to lose all four games considering they play both Michigan state and Rutgers two of the weaker teams in the big 10 and now Michigan too, who, as I said earlier, looks like a really weak team in the big 10 right now. But for me, it's just pretty simple consistency and believing that you have a foundation that you can believe in moving forward. Yeah. And I'll add to that and just say on top of the consistency, just growth from your young players. I mean, again, this team is so, so young that, you know, I just want to see a more consistent consistency from them, but also be again, that just that growth kind of from, you know, where they started at the beginning of the year, 
you know, and the, and them just getting better, more consistent, you know, making more plays, uh, you know, picking up, you know, being smarter, all that, just, just, just sort of that progress. Again, if they lose all four, if they lose the remaining four games, so be it. I mean, I think at this point, you know, ideally you'd want to, you know, you'd want to pick off Michigan state and Rutgers, but I, you know, I wins, wins are honestly kind of meaningless this season because everything is so just screwed up that, you know, if you, if you finish two and five, you finish two and five. And I don't think if you had told people going, Hey, Merrill's only going to win two or three games this year, people would be like, yeah, that sounds about right. But you know, if you, if you, if you can pick off Michigan state and Rutgers, um, and I mean, Michigan's in free fall. I don't know what happened to them, but they are, they do not look very good. So, um, you know, re- like, like if you're looking at a wins target, probably picking up at least two more wins, but I don't even think you need to really have a wins target at this point. Just, you see that consistent consistency from the whole team and you see the growth from the young players. And I think it's, I think it's a smashing success. I think it's already been a pretty, very, you know, very successful season on those fronts, but just keep it up and people will not be complaining. <laughs> yeah. Like Jake and I talked about this in our season preview episode, just find the quarterback. Like that's all we care about for this year. Just find the quarterback and find a couple of guys that you can build around. And they've done that. Right. Talia looks like a stud, right? He, he looks incredible. Not worried about the quarterback position at all. Check Mark right there. Offensive line, really young group meshed really well, playing really well. Jalen Duncan looks really good. Uh, Johnny Jordan's going to be gone. So they're going to have to replace him, but still you're looking pretty good there. You look pretty solid receiver. Don't even need to say it. Everyone's coming back. They're going to be incredible next year. There, tight end. They don't use a tight end that much. It doesn't really matter. Defensively, secondary. Nick Cross is, I think, a sophomore. Tarheeb Still is a freshman. Chase Camp, Chance Campbell is leaving, but Ruben Hippolyte has looked really good. They've got some pieces that you can work around, and with the recruits that are coming in, and with some of the talents that's going to that's going to continue to come in, the season's already been a success. Pick up a couple more wins. It's not like you lose draft position. Just, just kind of power through and pick, pick win the games you're supposed to win at this point because I think. At this point, they are. I think they should be expected to win the Michigan State and Rutgers games, and maybe even the Michigan game, depending on how that team continues. All right, um, uh, that's all I have for this episode. Alex, do you want to plug your stuff? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Alexander Dacy D A C Y. No fun. Um, no, no underscores. No fun stuff. Just straight up my. It's just straight up my name. It's pretty easy to find. Um, and then at the Diamondback, uh, it's it's dbknews.com. Uh, if you go to the sports section, I am the most 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 frequently published new author because there's really only been football to write about. So uh, you can read uh, you can read my game recaps, midweeks, previews, all that stuff uh, there. Uh, I don't um, I don't use Twitter all that much other than to just sort of plug my own stuff, but I'm relatively responsive. If you message me, um, I usually get back within a decent amount of time. Uh, my email is also on the website if you want to email me. Um, but yeah, that's it for me. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, I think we're going to record an awards episode either now or a little bit later. So you're going to be coming hopefully back on for that. That's going to be really fun. Um, Jacob, do you want to quickly plug your social media and stuff? Yeah, my Twitter is at Jacob Stein 23. Pretty similar to Alex, except Stein is S-T-E-I-N. I I know some people might flip it and do (laughs) I-E, but it's E-I-N. And then you can find uh, my work uh, on my Twitter and both our site at WMUC Sports. 
Dotnet, like Alex said, I'm a lot of the recent work because football is the only sport going on right now, but Varun and some of our other writers have put up some great work as well. So make sure to check out our website and check out our main feed at WMUC Sports as well. You can find me at Byvern Shrunker. All of our Twitter handles are in the bio of this episode. So please, if you haven't yet, follow us and then rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you find it. Apple Podcasts, put a review up. Spotify, put a review up. We're on the WMUC Sports Podcast feed. Until then, this is the Hail Maryland Podcast.